Good morning. I'm excited to be here with you all this morning, and especially during this time of year, this, this Christmas season, where things can be so busy and we can be so crazy. And I'm hoping that today we will be able to rest and take a deep breath as we begin to explore this series. We started last week with Nick, Wonderful Counselor. Today I'm going to look at Almighty God. Next week, Eternal Father. And the week after that, Prince of Peace. These are the four names that the prophet Isaiah gave Jesus Christ 700 years before Jesus coming to earth. And and so anyway, I don't know how this season is for you, but I'm hoping we can take a deep breath and be reminded that Jesus is Almighty God. The, I know that it's hard in this season to take a breath because we are running. We are running so fast. Last week I was running out the door to speak at something, and then I was going straight from that to the airport to fly someplace. And my friend came over because I was waiting for a package right before I left. And I had been waiting for this bedside table because, you know, if you don't purchase something during Cyber Week, you almost feel like you're not an American citizen, right? You feel like you have to do this. And so I purchased this bedside table, and I had been waiting for it to come. And, it, and finally, the delivery man comes, and he, he hauls it in. And my friend was there in the front. I was getting ready. I'm trying to get out of my house, and I go running by, and I see this box, this box that looks like that screen, it's this long, thin box that looks nothing like a bedside table. And I looked at it and I thought, are you kidding me? i got to put my bedside table together? I mean, this is, uh, they, this is expensive. i got to put this thing together. you got to be kidding me. And I'm flying by it. And in retrospect, let me just tell you, there's no possible way that this box was a bedside table. But I was moving so fast that I just assumed that it was something I had to put together. And my friend said, Kelly, this is not a bedside table. First of all, this is a mirror. It says so on the package, and it is enormous. And she said, and your name is not on here. It's a Karen something or other. And so maybe if you're Karen here today, maybe I had your mirror for a short time. But I, as I was thinking about that, I thought, okay, as we go into this series today and we're looking at the prophecy, Isaiah the prophet wanted to make sure that we understood Jesus, that we recognized what he was going to look like when he came so that there was no confusion. That when the time came that we would not think that he was someone other than who he is, that he gave these signs. He wanted us to know that when the Messiah actually came and shone a light that we were able to recognize him. And so if you'll open up with me today, we're going to start in Isaiah. We're going to move over to Matthew's gospel. But if you were look with me in Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9, this is kind of our anchor two verses that we are at in this particular series over the next few weeks. In Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, it says, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. I want you to hang on to that piece where it says that he will reign on the throne of David 
and over his kingdom. Hold on to that because this will be very important to us when we jump over to Matthew's gospel. But when Nick asked me if I would teach in the series, I have to tell you I was a little bit envious that I didn't get last week Wonderful Counselor. And I'm a little bummed that I didn't get next week Eternal Father or the week after that Prince of Peace. Because if we're honest with ourselves, Almighty God is probably the most controversial of all the titles of Jesus, right? I really think that we can all get behind Wonderful Counselor. I mean, we, some of us in this room, I will say, I have spent a lot of money on a counselor. I would spend a whole lot more money on a Wonderful Counselor. We can all get around that. We can all get around eternal father, as long as he's a good father, if he's a really good, loving father, who is a protector and a defender, we can all get on board with that. And oh my goodness, who in this world cannot get on board with Prince of Peace and all of the violence and the tumultuousness and the political strife that we are in? I mean, who couldn't get on board with Prince of Peace? I think all three of those titles, no matter who you are, you can kind of jump on for that. But when it, become, when it comes to almighty God, El God, Gabor, mighty, that is what draws the line in the sand, right? That's where it becomes a little controversial because if Jesus is almighty God, then he's the only way to the Father, um, all of a sudden, he's not just a good counselor. He's not just a peaceful guy. If he's God, then that changes everything for us. But if we take this to its logical conclusion, the reality for us this morning is that if Jesus is anything less than Almighty God, then we are without a Savior. If Jesus is anything less than Almighty God, then we are without hope. And in fact, the Apostle Paul says in Corinthians that if Jesus is not almighty God and if he did not die and if he was not raised, then we as Christ followers are actually to be pitied the most of all people on earth. If Jesus is not almighty God, then we have thrown our lot in for nothing. But this morning, I do believe that Jesus is almighty God. And the flip side of that coin is because he is that, we have hope. And we do have a savior. And Isaiah is setting him apart. In fact, this is not the first time that he talks about this son who is to come. A couple chapters before in Isaiah 7, 14, he says that this son will be born to a virgin, a virgin, and he will be called Emmanuel, God with us, fully flesh and fully God. All of this is very important because... Isaiah is foreshadowing this coming. He doesn't want us to miss the package. He does not want us to blow by and think that a mirror is a bedside table. He wants to very specifically show us who Jesus is so that when he arrives, there will be no mistake. Would you jump forward to Matthew chapter 1? Matthew chapter, or yeah, Matthew chapter 1. In order for us to see how Jesus is Almighty God, we've got to go to the New Testament because now Jesus has come. And I think this is fascinating how Matthew begins his gospel. And do you know that Matthew, more than any of the other gospels, he quotes Isaiah the most. He quotes Isaiah nine times in his gospel. 
um, for those of you who may not know, it was very important, perhaps more important to Matthew than any of the other writers, that his gospel testified to Jesus as the Messiah. He wanted the Jews that he was writing to to be able to recognize the package because they were not recognizing it. They did not see Jesus for who he is. They did not see him as Almighty God. And Matthew wanted them to see that he was rooted in their history, that indeed he is the one that has fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy. And so he does the oddest thing, and yet it's brilliant. He begins his gospel, this gospel where he wants to show not just the Jews, but all the nations on the earth that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Savior. And he begins with the most interesting thing. He begins with a genealogy. Which, if I were writing something really powerful and I really wanted to get my point across, I just wouldn't think to start with a genealogy. But look what he does. Matthew 1.1. An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Why does Matthew start with the son of David? Well, we just read it all the way back in Isaiah 9. He will be called... Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, and he will reign on David's throne. Now we know that Jesus did not come for an earthly kingdom. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. Praise the Lord, because we need something more than that. But what Matthew is doing here is he wants everybody to see, don't you guys get it? That for thousands of years, from Genesis 12... When God appears to Abraham and says that all nations of the earth will be blessed through you and there will be the seed that will come through you. And then the son of David, when David comes and in Isaiah the prophecy about this, this son who will be born and he will be God and he will be human and he will reign on David's throne. Don't you get it? Guys, Jesus is that one. We can trace his genealogy. We can trace his lineage all the way back to David. We can actually get all the way back to Abraham. Matthew is, I mean, you can feel the passion. He's saying, guys, he, he really is, this really is the one that we have been waiting for. He did not just pop up out of nowhere. I remember a number of Christmases ago, my mom and my dad and my brother David and my sister Katie and my other sister Megan, we had all gotten in our little minivan. I think I was in high school. And we had driven up to Annapolis to visit my grandfather and my grandmother. And my grandpa lived right out uh, just uh, where my grandparents both lived right across uh, the river from the Naval Academy. And he, at one point, was the superintendent of the United States Naval Academy. And he was retired admiral, very decorated. And there were many times where we would go visit them. And maybe on Christmas, we would sit there and we would ask him stories and ask him war stories and some of his most memorable experiences. And I remember him telling about this time he was a pilot and he was flying a plane. And I can't remember if it was during war or if it was in peacetime, but he was flying this plane and it was back when it was more manual, where you were actually doing the flying. And there was another plane that was headed straight for him. And he goes, I don't really know what the deal was, and I'm not even sure if I remember if there was protocol about which way you needed to turn. But he said, I had about one second to decide what I was going to do. And he said, and I turned right. And he said, and thank the Lord, the other pilot turns right and we miss each other. And I thought that that was such an incredible story. But by the time I got back into our van to go home, I began to process that as the oldest child. And I said to my parents, I said, what a crazy story. I mean, if grandpa, I mean, if grandpa had to just turn this way, like, we wouldn't be here. 
You know, I mean, Dad, you would not have been born. Far more importantly, I would not have been born. If you just turn that, if you just, just, bear, just want, I mean, he could have just, and we would have all not been here. And my sister Katie sits up from the back and she goes, oh, I am sure I would have popped up somewhere. <laughs> she goes, I was bound to be on this earth. And, you know, if you knew my sister Katie, you would understand that that would be a very indicative statement of hers. But what Matthew wants us to see is that Jesus did not just pop up out of nowhere. He was not self-appointed. This was not just sort of this movement that just sort of happened. Matthew wants us to understand that his coming was rooted in thousands of years of history and that the people who were living in darkness were waiting for this light and all of the Old Testament and all of the prophets and the Psalms and the law point to his coming so that when he came, we would be able to recognize him. So that's how Matthew's gospel begins. And if you will go over and turn to Matthew chapter 8, we're going to look at verse, verses 1 through 4. I really briefly this morning just want to touch on the Jesus' divinity Jesus' power over uncleanness, Jesus' power over nature, Jesus' power over darkness, and Jesus' power over sin. And we will see how he is truly almighty God today, and we will look at, at all of these just briefly. But Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, love this story. When he came down, when Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. Right away, a man with leprosy came up and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Then Jesus told him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Matthew is showing us that Jesus is God and has power over the unclean. He has power over the outsider. Let me give you just a little bit of background about why this is so incredibly significant. But here is the leper. This is a Jew. And if you were a Jewish man or woman and you had leprosy, this meant that you were unclean and that you were not allowed to enter the temple for worship. Not only were you essentially excommunicated from the community and the people of God in your time of worship, but you in public, if you were even allowed to be anywhere in public, you would actually have to yell out, unclean, unclean, to let everyone know that you had leprosy. That, and not just that you were sick with leprosy, but that you were unclean, you were defiled, you could not enter the temple. You could not enter community with God. Not just that, but you could not even be around your family. Notice that when the leper comes to Jesus, there is something about Jesus that he understands as divine. He calls him Lord. And he doesn't say, Lord, if you are able. He, this leper, understands something about almighty God in Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. There's something about Jesus that he grasps. And he doesn't say, if you are able. 
Because that would be to kind of question his ability as God. He says, if you are willing, you can, and notice he doesn't say you can make me better or you can heal me. He says, you can make me clean. There's something about Jesus that this man understands that Jesus has the power to not just heal him, but to cleanse him in a way that will restore him and make an outsider an insider. Someone who has been out, cast out, has no entry point, Jesus has now cleansed him. Do you see that Jesus says, I am willing, and he touches the man. This is mind-blowing because no Jew especially a Jew that wanted to be in good standing with God, would ever touch someone with leprosy because not only could you possibly contract the disease, but you were then ceremonially unclean. You now had no entry into the temple. You were defiled. But notice that Jesus, when Jesus touches the man, not only does Jesus not become unclean, but he makes the unclean clean. Only almighty God could do this. There's no other way. You could maybe argue that the, that man had the power to heal someone through the power of God, but you could never argue that anybody but God could make someone clean and restore them back into the community of God. We live in a world where the unclean always defiles the clean, but Jesus makes the unclean clean. Now, if you haven't had your coffee this morning and that was just too much, I had my niece Harper over to spend the night a few years ago. My brother and his wife went to Atlanta. They dropped her off, asked if, they could spend the, if she could spend the night, and they claimed to this day that they did not know that she had a violent stomach bug. But when they dropped her off, they really do. They were like, we just had no idea. I'm like, mm-hmm. And so they dropped her off to spend the night. And I am, I am not married. I do not have children. And so that is why I have a white natural fiber rug in my bedroom. And, and if I were married and I had children, I'm certain that I would not have this rug. But Harper was sleeping on the floor that night in her little sleeping bag. And about midnight, I hear this Aunt Kelly, I feel sick. I think I'm going to throw up. And you've just never seen a human get out of her bed faster than I awoke from sleep and jumped out of my bed and grabbed her and whipped her into the bathroom. Not because I was so concerned about her sickness, but because I could not have her throw up on my floor, right? And she was with me all night. And every 30 minutes, this is, we were going through this whole thing. And let me just tell you what I did not do. Now, I was very comforting and I was very loving and I wanted her to know that I was glad that she was with me and I was going to take care of her. But what I did not do is, hey, Harper, you are unclean right now. You are a bag of germs, but I am clean. So come close to me. Let me hold you. Let me kiss you. Let me get as close as I can to you so I can make my cleanness can make your uncleanness clean. You don't do that. You, you, you're, you're like, you are going to give me that plague. Stay away. Your uncleanness, your germiness is going to make me sick. And we keep our distance. Wouldn't it be nice if I could have said, oh, Harper, I'm clean. I'm healthy. So hang out with me, and that's going to trump your sickness. It doesn't work that way. But Jesus, almighty God, touches this leper. And hear this this morning. 
it doesn't just heal him physically. He restores him spiritually. He doesn't just heal him physically. He makes an outsider an insider. What could be more powerful at Christmas than for those of us who feel unclean, those of us who are unclean, those of us who feel excommunicated like we don't belong in church, like we shouldn't be here. Like those religious people are the righteous ones and we're just kind of the outcast ones. How amazing that God with us, Emmanuel, that he came not just, and I love these, but not just as eternal father, not just as prince of peace, not just as wonderful counselor, but as almighty God. Able to make the unclean clean. Jesus is God over the unclean. Aren't we grateful for that this morning? I've definitely had times where I feel chief of the uncleanness. And I'm thankful for Jesus' sacrifice for me. In fact, in Mark's gospel, I just can't not mention this, but it actually says that when Jesus saw this man, he had compassion on him. The Greek word is splotmizomai. And it is a very strong word that is almost exclusively attached to Jesus Christ as the one who has great compassion. God with us. I wonder if you need a touch from the Lord this Christmas season. Isn't it beautiful that Jesus did not just speak the word? Because he actually, in the very next chapter, will speak the word and someone will be healed. But Jesus goes out of his way to touch this man to show him, I have you. It's okay. I have power over this. He doesn't explicitly say it, but it's ever clear it's because he's almighty God. Aren't we glad that he is nothing less than that this morning? Chapter 8, verse 23, this is just a few stories later. The disciples, it says that as Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a violent storm arose on the sea. So that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but Jesus kept sleeping. So the disciples came and woke him up saying, Lord, save us, we're going to die. And he said to them, why are you afraid, you of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. What I love about this story is that the disciples, these are the disciples. These are the ones who have thrown everything in to follow Jesus. And they are scratching their heads saying, what kind of man is this? And I'm sure, no pun intended, I would be right there in the same boat with them because I thought a mirror was a bedside table. So I'm sure I wouldn't have recognized him either. But you kind of are scratching your head and you're thinking, guys, don't you get it? Don't don't you get that it's not just a man? Now, a lot of times we take the story of Jesus in the boat with the disciples and we say, hey, listen, Jesus can calm the storms in your life. This is a story about how Jesus can calm the storms in your life. And while I do absolutely believe that Jesus is powerful to calm the storms in your life, I don't think that that's what this particular text is about. I believe that this is about the Christology of Jesus. This is about the reality that he is the Messiah. Why? Because the disciples in that boat, they would have known their Old Testament scriptures. In fact, Matthew, when he wrote his gospel, he is assuming 
He is assuming that you and I know our Old Testament. And so the disciples in that boat would have known their Old Testament scriptures. And guess what it says in Psalm 89, 8 through 9. We have this on the screen today. All the way back in the Old Testament, Lord God of armies or Lord of hosts, who is strong like you, Lord? Your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule the raging sea. When its waves surge, you still them. See, they would have known that only Almighty God could tame nature. The psalmist said, only you, God. There's no, other, there's no human that can calm the wind and the waves. Only God is capable of that. And so what does Jesus do? He gets in the boat and the storm comes up and he immediately, he rebukes the wind and the waves. And look what it says. The wind and the waves obey him. They come under his authority. Jesus is God over nature. We're seeing his, his Godhead here, his deity here. And I, I was telling this story to my niece and nephew, Will and Harper, the other night. I had a little children's Bible story, and I was reading this story to them. And I love the childlike faith because Jesus says we are even to have this kind of childlike faith. But I was telling this story, and Will said, Oh, if I had been in that boat with Jesus and the storms were going crazy, I would have said, Jesus, will you read me a bedtime story? And he said, because I would have known that everything was going to be fine. So I would have just said, Jesus, read me a bedtime story right in the middle of that storm because you're with Jesus. So it's going to be fine. And I had the biggest smile on my face because I thought, that is right. And I've gotten jaded. And I've gotten cynical. And maybe a little part of me has stopped believing that. Not believing that everything will always be okay. That's not what this text is teaching. But believing that Jesus is powerful enough, even over nature, that he has that kind of power. And let's be honest, if Jesus is to tame our heart, if he is to restore our marriages, if he is to restore our wayward children, if he is to comfort us in our singleness, he better be able to tame the wind and the waves. Right? If he can't do that, how can he possibly be ruler over our lives? And all of this is here. Jesus is showing his divinity. And maybe the disciples, maybe, maybe they thought, oh, yeah, Isaiah 9, 6. The prophet Isaiah said that a son would be born and he would be called Almighty God. Oh, yeah, Isaiah 7, 14, the prophet Isaiah said that there was coming a day when Emmanuel would come. God, but not God out here, God with us. Oh, yeah. But they actually say, what kind of guy is this? And I love it. Jesus says, why are you afraid, you of little faith? And I wrote in the margin of my Bible, you almost can hear him saying, why are you afraid? Don't you not know that I am almighty God? Do you not get it yet? We won't read this next section, but right after this, in fact, after they get out of that storm and out of the boat, they get to this area of the Gentiles and there are all kinds of things that are off limits for the Jews there because there are 2,000 pigs that are in this area. That's a no-can-do for the Jews. There are two demon-possessed men. That is a really no-can-do for the Jews. And it's two demon-possessed men that have come out of tombs. No-can-do. 
And Jesus, as Almighty God, takes them straight there. And he rebukes the demons. And he has power over darkness. We see that he has power in that section over the darkness that was parading in that particular part of town. And do you know what? Instead of the people saying, oh my goodness, the light has come. Peace has come for these men who were previously tormented. Instead of saying that, they actually asked him to leave because they are afraid. And isn't it so interesting that Jesus is almighty God, even over the darkness, there are some times where we are more comfortable in our darkness than we are when the light of the world shows up. Because we like sometimes our dysfunction, we like some of sometimes the way that things are, and this has felt very disruptive to the people. And so Jesus goes back to the other side, and we will end with this particular passage We'll begin in chapter 9, verse 1, before I begin reading. Remember that Jesus is God over uncleanness. He is God over nature. Jesus is God over the darkness. And now we will see, I'll just tell you in advance, we will see that Jesus is God even over sin. Chapter 9, so he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. And just then some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a stretcher, seeing their faith. Jesus told the paralytic, have courage, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the scribes said to themselves, he's blaspheming. Perceiving their thoughts, Jesus said, why are you thinking evil things in your hearts? For which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he told the paralytic, get up, take your stretcher and go home. So he got up and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and gave glory to God who had given such authority to men. Did they still not understand that he was the son of God? Think about this particular text. We don't get it in this gospel, but in one of the other gospels, we know that this is the passage where the guys are, they're each holding a corner of the stretcher and they have their friend who is paralyzed on the mat and they are bringing him to be healed by Jesus. And as they are bringing him, their friend, to be healed by Jesus, they see that there is such a crowd outside that there's no way that they can get in. And I hate to admit this about myself, but I think that I don't like crowds. I don't like lines. I just got back from Walt Disney World two weeks ago, and I'm still, like, having to take medication. And so it's just... You know, it's just I don't like the crowds and the, all that crazy stuff. And so I just have a feeling that if I had had my friend and I was one of the people and, and I turned the corner and I saw the crowds and there was no room for Jesus to heal my friend, I think I would have just been like, there is a line and I am sorry. We are not going to be able to do this. But isn't it so great, isn't it so great that someone, we don't, we don't get this quote, but someone had to have said it. Someone holding the corner of, of the mat had to have said, hey, guys, I have an idea. Let's climb the roof. Let's dig a hole. And let's lower our buddy down so Jesus can heal him. You just know. You just know somebody had that idea. And again, I fear that I would have been the person like, that is a terrible idea. We could get hurt. Does anybody have insurance? But they get up. They lower him down. And can you imagine? Can you picture this scene? That here is this man who has been paralyzed, and he's lowered down in front of everybody. And Jesus 
says, take courage, son. It's a beautiful phrase that Jesus uses so warm. And he says, your sins are forgiven. And I'm certain that if we were all honest, we are thinking, and he was thinking, thank you, but that's not why I'm here. I'm here so that I don't have to be paralyzed anymore. But Jesus knew what he wanted, but Jesus knew what he needed was even greater than what he could have possibly even wanted. And Jesus says that he saw their faith. How did he see their faith? He saw these men, maybe women, I'm not sure. And the friend, what, did the friend have faith? We don't know. It just says he saw their. Is he healing on behalf of the friend's faith? I don't know. All I know is for sure we can't get away from the fact that our faith affects other people. No question about it. And especially this Christmas, your faith will affect the people around you. What a great opportunity we have to talk about Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. But Jesus sees their faith. And obviously they had faith in him as someone who was more than just a good man, more than just a good counselor, more than just a prophet, more than just a sage, but that he had power to do something miraculous. And it's so interesting because after Jesus forgives the man's sin, he asks that question, and you all have probably heard it, where he says, hey, listen, what do you think is harder? Or, or what do you think is easier? You think it's easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? And if we're honest, we're all thinking, well, it's probably a little easier to say your sins are forgiven. But if we really look at this, that would be the far harder, far more impossible task. Yes, it would take the divinity of Jesus to heal this man and it would cost Jesus something. But you know what? To forgive his sins, it would cost Jesus his life. To forgive, to forgive our sins, it would cost Jesus everything. And Jesus says, by the way, guys, those of you scribes, Pharisees who are judging me, those of you who do not recognize the package, who do not recognize me, despite all that the prophets have said, just so you know that I have power on earth to forgive sins. Get up, take up your mat, and walk. It's so incredible. And I love that it, says that, Jesus, that it says that Jesus has the power on earth to forgive sins. Because I don't know about you, but my sins have taken place on earth. And I'm so thankful that he came on earth to forgive sin. Jesus has power even over sin. And only almighty God could take care of our sin problem. Now I know that sin is not a super popular politically correct word today. We like to think of it as mistakes or shortcomings or sometimes we just call sin actually like really good stuff. We celebrate it in our culture. But part of the tension of recognizing Jesus as son of God is that we have to recognize that we are sinners in need of a savior. That's part of the tension. And I am so thankful 
this Christmas to celebrate that Jesus Christ did come to earth to save me from my sin above all else. Because much like the leper, it wasn't just that he wanted to forgive us of our sin. He did that so that he could restore us back into relationship with God. That is the great mercy of our God and that is the great sacrifice of Emmanuel, God with us. Is that because of his birth, his death, and his resurrection, he has offered forgiveness of sin. All of that shame, all of that guilt, all of those things that are coming to your mind right now, those things that you try to drink away or eat away or Netflix away, but that creep back up when you put your head on the pillow. Jesus, almighty God, has come to save you from that and to forgive you for that. Where are you this Christmas? Do you feel like an outsider, like the leper who wants back in? Jesus has compassion. He has splontnizomai for you. Have you forgotten, like the disciples, or maybe you you haven't even discovered it yet, like the disciples, that Jesus is really almighty God, that he is powerful even over nature. And because he is powerful over nature, he is certainly powerful over our own hearts. Maybe you have forgotten this Christmas that Jesus is the light that came into the darkness. That he went to that place where the Jews could never go. That place where no one would ever enter, but because he is the light of the world, he was able to go and dispel the darkness. Are you in a place this Christmas where your sin needs to be forgiven? And today, this morning, would be the first morning that you would come and say, Lord Jesus, I receive what you have done for me. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your death on the cross on my behalf. And I want to follow you for the rest of my life because I understand today that you are not just a good man, but indeed you are the fulfillment of the prophets. You are almighty God. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. Have you personalized that this Christmas? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Oh, Lord, as, 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 as much tension as there is in Jesus' almighty God, thank you that that is who you are. Because if you are less, then we have no Savior. But if that is who you are, then everything about our life changes. We have the compassion of God on our lives. We, we, we can be made clean, even though we are unclean. The darkness can be dispelled. We can be free of sin and shame and disgrace. Not because we have done something to earn that or crawl our way out of that, but because you came as Emmanuel, God, with us to deliver us from sin and from darkness and from bondage. And we, today, we put our trust in you and in you alone. And we ask, Lord, that this Christmas season would be unlike anything we've ever experienced before because we're getting that in a new way. We're understanding your divinity in a new way. And we will thank you.